Hi, I'm Tony Denbach, the lead pastor of Clearview Community Church, one church in multiple locations serving the Georgian Triangle region. We're so glad that you've chosen to be with us today. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about what we are about as a church and why we do what we do. Clearview Community Church exists to see people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And by doing this, we want to saturate this entire region with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want everyone to know who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Now, I don't know about you, but I am excited. I'm excited about being one of the pastors of this church. I'm excited about what I see God doing in the lives of our people and I'm excited about the potential that I see sitting in those seats every Sunday. But more than anything else, I'm excited to be a part of what God is doing. See, there is no greater privilege than to be allowed to partner with God to actually make a difference, not just in the here and now, but for eternity. And that's what we're trying to do. So today, I want to talk about the message that God has called us to share. I want to talk about the good news. You see, so often in my experience, I find that the church has forgotten its purpose. We've forgotten why we're here. In many cases, the church has become a place where like-minded people come together to take care of their own. But the church is called to be an agent for change reaching out to those who don't yet have a relationship with God. It's meant to be a group of people whose lives reflect the love of a living God. The picture that most people have of church is so very different from that. Now, if we opened up the phone lines today to anyone and asked this question, what do you think that God is like? I'd no doubt get a wide variety of responses. I asked that question one time of a group of junior high students, and I got a wide assortment of answers. One said that they pictured God as an old man with a long white beard. Another one said that God was just too big to think about. Well, I think a lot of people would agree with him. Now, a group of children were asked to write letters to God. Here's some samples. Jane wrote, Dear God, Instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you got now? It's a great question. Joyce wrote this. Dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> Larry had a suggestion. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel wouldn't kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works for me and my brother. Let's do one more. Neil asked this. Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in the church. Is that okay? <laughs> Kids have great questions. But what do you think about God? Hopefully today we will learn something that we didn't already know. One thing that is vital as we begin is to understand that God is a God who desires to be known by us, his creation. This is why he gave us the Bible, his word, a written revelation of himself to us. But nowhere is God revealed to us more clearly than in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, 
whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus himself said, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And in 1 John 1, verse 1, one of Jesus' closest friends wrote, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. See, these eyewitnesses recorded what they heard Jesus say and saw him do while he walked the earth. So if you want to know what God is like and what he thinks of you, you need to look no further than the life and the words of Jesus Christ, his one and only Son. Now, over the next two weeks, we're going to look at the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, wherein is recorded three parables or stories that speak of what God thinks about people. We're going to look at the first few, first two parables today. And these parables are spoken in the context of yet another encounter between Jesus and the religious leadership of his day. Now, these religious people were upset because Jesus was associating with sinners who were all gathering around to hear what he had to say. The religious crowd, on the other hand, stood in the background, thinking that they had all of the answers. I believe that Jesus' message was specifically intended for those who don't feel that they belong, for those who feel left out in the cold, and for those who feel that they have somehow blown it and are outside of a relationship with God, wondering if there's any hope. So let's read. It's found in Luke chapter 15 and verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver, silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, as we begin here, I want to draw your attention to the first two verses of our text. Notice that there were two distinct groups of people referred to here. On the one hand, you have the tax collectors and sinners, and on the other, you have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So let's look at these groups of people. First of all, the tax collectors and sinners. If you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. You would have heard about why tax collectors were so despised by their communities. You see, they were Jewish men, 
but they had agreed to work for the Romans. They were given an amount of taxes they had to submit to the government, but anything above that amount, amount they could manage to collect from their fellow people, they could keep for themselves. So a lot of the tax collectors were wealthy, and they achieved their wealth by extracting money from their fellow countrymen. They were unpopular for a reason. Now, the sinners, on the other hand, were the irreligious folk of Jesus' day. They didn't abide by the Jewish religious laws and customs that the Pharisees took so seriously. This group would have included thieves, prostitutes, and the adulterers who visited them. On one extreme, and those who had what was considered an unclean profession or who associated with the pagans surrounding them. This group was not welcome at the synagogue. That was the first group that is mentioned here. The second is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and that was opposite them. We have this group of people. The Pharisees were a sect of Judaism that was popular in Jesus' day and who were famous for their passionate adherence to the letter of the religious law. They loved rules and regulations. They cared deeply about appearances. And many of them had the purest motives. They wanted to please God. But their legalism led them to pridefulness and horribly judgmental attitudes. They didn't like the fact that Jesus cared more for people than the letter of the law. And this second group here were the teachers of the law, also known as scribes. They were meticulous with the Old Testament scriptures, and in particular, the law of Moses, which is the first five books of what we call our Bible. They were also students of the Mishnah, the writings of the rabbis, the rules that they created were often used to create loopholes for themselves while controlling the people, all under the guise of religion. They didn't like Jesus very much because he had no use for their man-made rules. It is the, the dynamic between the tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus that frames this entire chapter and the parables that Jesus will share. Now, this is really important for us to understand because it also informs who we are as Clearview Community Church. Look at verse 2. It says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus had a reputation, and he had earned it, for caring for people more than he cared for appearances. In a society that drew lines and isolated people who didn't fit in, Jesus went out of his way to cross those lines and accept people into his circle, all people. He embraced them. In his circle of disciples was Simon the Zealot, who was once a violent radical bent on the overthrow of Rome. And there were James and John, called the sons of thunder because of their tempers. And there was, of course, Matthew, who was a tax collector. Also included in Jesus' delegation were horror of horrors, women. Jesus valued women and encouraged them to sit and learn at his feet alongside the men. It was scandalous in his time. We see him reaching out to the Samaritan woman at the well, a woman with so many strikes against her that most would have considered her hopeless. She was also a Samaritan. Those people were considered lowlifes by respectable Jews of the time. She was a woman, and respectable Jewish men did not talk to strange women. And she had a bad reputation. She'd had five husbands. But Jesus specifically set out to speak with her, and she ended up spreading the good news of Jesus to her entire village. 
We see Jesus reach out to lepers, those unfortunate outcasts whose condition kept them at the furthest fringes of society. He specifically invited himself to the home of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, to the horror of the religious crowd. Over and over and over again, time after time, Jesus crossed boundary after boundary in order to demonstrate to the lost, the lonely, and the hurting that God loved them. Now, what does that have to do with us? At CCC, we say repeatedly that we want people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Well, that means ultimately that we want to help people to do what Jesus did. Quite honestly, I've been to churches where I would not want to take my non-Christian friends. Well, why? because they would not be made to feel welcome. They wouldn't look right, talk right, or act right. And that's the point. Those are exactly the type of people for whom the church exists. Now, when I first came to Clearview over 27 years ago, I preached from this chapter repeatedly because I wanted our church to be a church where everyone from every walk of life, regardless of belief, felt welcome. I might not agree with your choices, but I love you and I want you here. That's the kind of church that we want to create. Now let's look at these two parables to see what Jesus modeled for us. And the first is the parable of the lost sheep. See, throughout the Bible, we commonly see people compared to sheep. There are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, it was a reference that everyone understood. Shepherding was one of the most common occupations in the Middle East for centuries, and it's still common. It was a common sight for people to see a shepherd leading his sheep. Now, in this case, the shepherd has 100 sheep. And when we look at shepherding in Jesus' day, it's important to understand that the shepherds basically lived with the sheep. They were there when they were born. And they grew attached to them. The good ones called each one by name. They knew them individually. So Jesus uses this picture on purpose. He talked about this again in John chapter 10 when he declared that he was the good shepherd. Now, I want you to take some time this week to read that if you can. Place yourself in his flock. See, here's another reason I think that Jesus used sheep as an example. Sheep are stupid. <laughs> now, I'm sorry, but they are. They don't know what's good for them. They get themselves in all kinds of trouble. They will follow their appetites. They'll get themselves lost, just like people. Now, as Jesus is listening to the muttering from the religious crowd about him welcoming sinners, he sees those sinners. He sees them as individuals. He sees each one of them as special, created in the image of God, and he loves them. I can imagine Jesus locking eyes with one of the self-absorbed Pharisees as he began to teach. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. See, one sheep alone in the wilderness is helpless. People alone are helpless as well. I was helpless. Jesus came looking for me. He found me in my hopelessness and despair, knowing that I'd made a mess of my life. He didn't throw rocks at me like the religious crowd would have done. He picked me up, put me on his shoulders, and carried me home. He cleaned me up, 
straightened me out, and danced with the angels because I was home. Can you imagine? He feels the same way about every single one of us. Now, the second parable is the parable of the lost coin. And this second story Jesus tells is uh, something that we need to understand. See, we in this culture, this coin probably represented one-tenth of this women's, woman's estate. They would often tie it in their hair so that it was close to them. This was valuable to her. In this day, there weren't banks with their conveniences like we have today. She kept all of her money close to her. Somehow she lost this valuable coin, whether dropped on the floor or fallen in behind a piece of furniture. She doesn't simply forget about it and go on about her life as if nothing had happened. She lights a lantern in order that she can see into the corners and into the cracks in the floor. She sweeps the house, moving the furniture around in order not to miss a spot. And this is important. When she finds it, there's great joy in the house. She calls her friends and she throws a party. And again, Jesus says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What do you have that you can't imagine losing? What is it that would make you turn everything upside down to find? Jesus is giving some insight here into how God thinks. Do you know what is so important to God that he would go into full search mode? Important enough that he would send his son on a dangerous mission to get it back? A mission that would even cost him his life. What could be that important? You are. You matter a great deal to God. Yes, you. Now, I must admit that sometimes the church has acted like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, standing on the outside, shaking our heads at those sinners. But the truth is that as Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. See, Clearview Community Church has a simple message from Jesus for all who will hear it. Jesus himself said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves you. Now, if you have been hurt in the past by the church, please forgive us. If the church has kept you from a relationship with God, we apologize. Please know that God loves you, and so do we. Now, for those of you who, have seen you, who see yourself in the picture of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you could maybe see yourself looking down your nose at that person who dares to think that he or she belongs among the respectable people. I ask you with all my heart to be like Jesus. Let him melt your heart so that you can see people like he does. That's the kind of church that we want to be. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, we live in a broken world with broken people. More than ever, we need your grace. Thank you for Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. Though we are sinners, your word says that if we confess our sin, you will forgive us and give us a brand new start. Would you do that today? Come and live in us and through us by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed this prayer or would just like to have a conversation about what we've talked about today, you can message us at clearviewchurch at rogers.com. We would love to hear from you. So go now into the world 
inspired by the extravagant love of God, live generously with open hands, loving one another as if your lives depended on it. Be good stewards of the gifts you have received so that God may be glorified in all that you say and do. And may the abundant love of God surround you. May the extravagant grace of Jesus Christ sustain you. And may the constant presence of the Holy Spirit inspire and encourage you in every good word and deed. Amen. Thanks for watching today.